0: Welcome to the Catholic Foodie Show. I'm Jeff Young, your host, the Catholic Foodie. So glad you could be with me today. I have got a treat for you. Uh, last night I was able to get Dr. Brant Petrie on the phone and uh, to, to talk to him about his new book, The Case for Jesus. And I, I mean, this is going to be a packed show, folks. I, 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 I'm so happy I get to share this conversation with you. If you've never heard of Dr. Brant Petrie before, he's a professor of Sacred Scripture at Notre Dame Seminary in New Orleans. And uh, he's the author of the best-selling book, Jesus and the Jewish, Jewish Roots of the Eucharist, Unlocking the Secrets of the Last Supper. And also, Jesus the Bridegroom, the greatest love story ever told. Dr. Petrie is an extremely enthusiastic and highly sought-after speaker who lectures regularly across the United States. Uh, and he has produced dozens of Bible studies on both CD and DVD in which he explores the biblical roots of the Catholic faith. He's also appeared on a number of Catholic radio and television shows, such as Catholic Answers Live and programs on EWTN. He currently lives in Louisiana. That's awesome, huh? (laughs) With his wife, Elizabeth, and their five children. And I'm happy to say that uh, Dr. Petrie is a friend of mine. So it was absolutely a delight to have him uh, on the phone last night. And I can't wait to share this uh, conversation with you. So sit tight, folks. This is going to be good. I am so glad to welcome a friend of mine, Dr. Brant Petrie, to the Catholic Foodie Show today. And uh, welcome, Brant.
1: Thanks for having me back, Jeff. It's been been a while, but I'm really glad to be back.
0: Yeah, we talked last time, I think, about uh, your last book, uh, uh, Jesus and the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist. And uh, I think we're getting ready for the Holy Triduum at that time. That's right. uh, That's
1: right. That was a very... Catholic foodie book. It was all about That's right. the Eucharist, the bread of the <laughs> presence, the manna. That was, that was made for your show.
0: <laughs> That's what, I, I loved it too. I loved it. And you know, I want to tell you, before we get started talking about your new book, I wanted to to, to thank you because you, you started recently a new series on the Sunday Gospel Readings uh, video yeah. series. And I'm telling you, it is just top notch from production to content. Everything is just right on. And it speaks to me and I've talked to my wife, I've talked to, uh, you know, friends of mine who are about in the same situation in life as my wife and I are, you know, mothers and fathers with kids at home. And uh, it 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 really just brings together things for us with the Sunday gospel, the Sunday readings uh, in a way that otherwise we would miss, you know, little details uh, yep. that, that sometimes get overlooked. And it's just been so, so, such a blessing for us. I know it's only been you know, a few weeks now, but, uh, it's been a blessing for us. And I just wanted to, to say thank you for producing that. And maybe you can direct folks as to where they could find those videos
1: online. Yeah, sure. So, um, th- there are a few places though. The main place would be, um, at Catholic Productions' website. So Catholic Productions uses my Bible studies on CD. They also sell books, like sign copies of my books and whatnot. So on the Catholic Productions blog website, we've got kind of like a video blog uh, where I'm going through each week. We're producing videos to, that will... Uh, explain the Sunday readings, just going through each of the readings for mass and talking about where they are from in the scripture, how they go together and what their meaning is in light of the entirety of scripture and tradition, uh, trying to put in them, putting them in context so that when you're going into mass, you're not, you know, going in blind. I know at least for me, I can speak to myself, for myself, uh, even though I'm a big biblical scholar, sometimes I'm going to mass, I'm like, oh, I haven't really read the readings and I'm not, I'm not ready to hear God's word, you know, and sometimes it can kind of almost, you know, bounce right off of me or go in one ear and out the other. So these videos, I'm sure other people have that experience too, so these videos are meant to kind of help you go in with a context, with some understanding of the scriptures, and that way the soil of your heart and your mind is kind of tilled and ready to hear the word in the Mass itself.
0: Now, if I can only get you to come and, like, help my kids behave so I can pay attention. <laughs> no, that's your job, man.
1: I've, I've, I've done that. I have to do that myself, although they're getting a little older now, so they're settling down. <laughs> but all the more reason, to, you know, to try to listen outside of Mass, right? You know, because sometimes when you get in and you got one kid drooling on you, another kid uh, pulling your tie or whatever, <laughs> you know, sometimes it can be hard to listen and pay attention. So if you've prepped, it, it can
0: help. It does. It does. And you, I think you bring uh, to the table uh, small details that sometimes get overlooked and and it kind of helps to make connections in the gospel stories. Uh, for those of us who, who perhaps have been attending mass, have been reading the gospels, even for years and years, it may just be something that we don't, uh, make a connection with. And, uh, and the videos have, have certainly helped me in that area.
1: Well, thanks. Yeah, I mean that's one. Of, that's one of the things I love to do. I love to make connections. I love to connect the dots, so to speak, especially between the New Testament reading and the Old Testament reading. And just when, like you said, but even with, when it comes to scripture, even the smallest details matter. And a lot of times, uh, in a sense, you know, some people say the devil's in the details. When it comes to scripture, God <laughs> is in the details. Like the the mysteries are in the details. And so when you make those connections, you can have all kinds of aha moments with every single Sunday reading. It's just, it's just, it's. So a fun, fun thing to do, and it's it's really amazing uh, how much is there and hidden in the scriptures.
0: And again, just thank you, thank you so much for uh, for doing that work. I know it, it takes work, but it's uh, very much appreciated.
1: You're very welcome.
0: Now, I know uh, I, I wanted to also talk to you today. I'm very happy that you could join me today uh, to talk about a new book. You have a new mm-hmm. book coming out, and uh, it's called. Uh, The Case for Jesus, and uh, you want to give us a little overview, maybe, of of what that book is about?
1: Sure, yeah. Okay, so the the book is entitled The Case for Jesus, The Biblical and Historical Evidence for Christ, and that's going to be coming out on February 2nd, so we tried to get it out right on the the cusp of of Lent this year, because we know lots of Catholics are looking around for books on Lent, and we also know, I don't know about you, but I've certainly experienced every year... It's right around Lent that you start to see articles on the internet or television documentaries um, or books that will come out, which are, are radically skeptical yep. about Christianity, about the origins of the church, about the person of Jesus Christ. So every year at Lent a new theory gets trotted out by some writer, some, some, uh, you know, radical scholar saying, you know, this year it's Jesus was married to Mary. Maxwell, you know, yeah, right. or we've discovered the truth about the lost gospel of Judas that tells us what Jesus really didn't said. Or, um, <laughs> we discovered another gospel, the gospel of Thomas, or they'll say things like Jesus was a zealot. Jesus was a political revolutionary. I mean, it's just one radical theme after uh, theory after another. And, and they always put it out around Lent, uh, in easter and and the goal is really a secular agenda, which is to raise doubts and raise concerns. Uh, uh, in people's minds, to raise doubts about the truth of Christianity, to raise truth about the reliability of the gospel testimony, and to raise doubts about uh, the about ultimately about the person of Christ, about the divinity of Jesus. So over the years now, I've been teaching as a professor for about 12 years, and um, over the years, uh, people you know people send you emails, right? Uh, or mm-hmm. students ask questions in the classroom. Doctor Petrie, what about this? You know, who wrote the Gospels? Um, how do we know that they're reliable? Are they are they folklore? Or are they fiction? Are they myths, or are they biographies of Jesus? You know, when were the Gospels written? Were they too late to be reliable? Did Jesus really claim to be God, or was he just a, a good, you know, moral teacher, or ordinary Jewish rabbi? Or, you know, maybe he was a great prophet, but was he really divine? Um, and what about all these other Gospels? What about the lost Gospels? What about Q, you know, the supposed Gospel that's hidden in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, uh, Matthew and Luke? You know, what do we make of all this? And, uh, you know, why, why was Jesus crucified? If he was God, for example, um, why would he say, "My God, my God, have you why have you forsaken me mm-hmm. on the cross if he himself is divine right. uh, and then what about the resurrection? I mean ordinary experience. Dead people stay dead, right? So it's a pretty <laughs> extraordinary thing, you know, uh, to, for Christians to say from the very beginning, you know, Jesus didn't just come back to life. He wasn't just resuscitated, but he lives and will never die again, right, in his body, a right. bodily resurrection. So, and, you know, you get all these questions. They're tied to the basics of the Christian message. They're, they're, they're definitely tied in a special way to to. Easter, right, to the passion, death, and resurrection of Christ, and just to the reliability of, uh, of the gospel as a whole, and I've been, I've been getting them for about 10 or 12 years now. Uh, people ask me, can you give me a book or something like that uh, that would help strengthen my faith? Or even more common now, Jeff, I'll have uh, parents come to me and say, my son or my son's and daughter went to college, and she was a believer when she left, but now mm-hmm. she came back and she's an atheist. or she's an agnostic or he doesn't believe anymore in Christianity or he doesn't want to go to church because he doesn't think Jesus is really God. He's just a good teacher. So parents would come up to me and say, do you have a book that you can recommend? And for a long time I really didn't. Um, There wasn't a book that did quite what they needed, especially not from a Catholic perspective. So that's why I wrote this book. It's the case for Jesus. So what I'm trying to do in this book is give you an overview of both the biblical evidence for Christ, like, you know, the prophecy is the Messiah, what does he do and say in the gospels, his divinity, his resurrection, and also the historical evidence. So like um, looking at the the, the the date of the Gospels, the authorship of the Gospels, what kind of books they are, in order to help people see that you can make a very solid historical and biblical case that Jesus is precisely who the church has always said he, he is. He is the Messiah, Messiah, and the divine Son of God.
0: we got to take a quick break, but we'll be back in just a minute. You're listening to The Catholic Foodie Show on Breadbox Media. Welcome back to the Catholic Foodie Show. I'm Jeff Young, your host of Catholic Foodie, and we're talking with Dr. Brant Petrie. Let's continue that conversation. These questions aren't necessarily just questions that, like, atheists have, or, no. or that college <laughs> no. students or, or people in academia have. I mean, I, I've I have worked with uh, teenagers for years, mm. uh, both as a teacher in a high school and then as a, um, you know, sacramental preparation for confirmation, that kind of thing, and I, I saw it all the time. And I get the questions all the time. Questions of like, you know, how can we believe, how can we trust that the gospels are really accurate? You know, how can we, you know.
1: If they were 2,000 years ago, they were written. How how do we know? Yeah, exactly.
0: And and so it's, those are, those are common, very common questions. And I think, you know, one of the, one of the things I think that would be um, perhaps good to, uh, that I could ask is like devil's advocate sort of thing. uh, Mm -hmm somebody, you could hear, have someone say, well, why is it even important? I mean, this is a question and it may be even someone who believes kind of in general, but why is it even important? The question of Jesus, we've got to get this right. And, and perhaps you could tell me why, why, what would I say to someone who says, well, why is this even important? Why do we need to know this?
1: Okay, yeah. Okay, two things. First, I I want to say a quick comment about what you just said, because it it struck a nerve with me. Um, It's it's funny that you brought up working with young people, because um, I had a friend of mine who read the book through, and he's done a lot of youth ministry as well. And he said the first thing he he said after he finished it was, I'm going to go and buy a copy of this for every high school teacher that I know. Wow. Because, because these basic questions like who was Jesus? How do we know Mm -hmm. are, are not just questions for the academia. They really are the kind of questions that people start asking once their reason starts to emerge, you know, when they're a teenager, right? Right. That's when you start asking the tough questions, the basic questions. So it really is something for everyone. So that's the first point I would say. Um, second, why is it important? Why does it matter? Well, It's because of the the nature of the claim that Jesus made, all right? Um, C.S. Lewis, years and years ago, um, almost half a century ago, uh, wrote a book where he basically pointed out, look, um, lots of people say Jesus was just a good moral teacher or that he was a great rabbi or a great prophet. But, 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 but see, as Lewis said, those aren't really options that Jesus left open for us because Jesus claimed to be God. So, for example, in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I and the Father are one, or before Abraham was, I am, mm-hmm. right? He takes the divine name as himself. And so what Lewis pointed out was is that Jesus really left us only three options. Number one, either he was a liar, in other words, he wasn't God, and he knew it, but he deceived people, which Mm -hmm. would mean he can't be a good moral teacher, right? Right. Uh, Second, either he was a liar or a lunatic, which in other words, he thought he was God, but he wasn't. Uh, And again, he can't be a great prophet if he's crazy, uh, which would be the case if he said he was God. You know, somebody goes around saying they're divine, but isn't, is a lunatic if they think it's true and it's not. Uh, So Lewis said, well, the third option, it really only leaves us one option. He's not a liar. If he's not a lunatic, then he has to be the Lord. In other words, he Has to be who he actually claimed to be and this is the most fundamental claim of christianity if jesus isn't who he said he was the lord if he isn't who the church said he was then christianity just falls apart that is the foundation stone that is the slab of the christian religion and i will tell you this jeff for a lot of years Lewis's argument worked for people. Like, it worked for me when I first read it. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Either a liar or a lunatic or he's the Lord. But in recent years, in the last 30 or 40 years especially, another option has come up. Some scholars will say, ah, but there's a fourth option. Uh, The fourth option would be that that he's a legend. In other words, that Hmm. he never claimed to be God, Uh. that the Gospels aren't really reliable accounts of it, and that this was stuff that the Church just made up decades and decades later, anonymous Christians who we don't even know came up with these stories about Jesus, and they distorted what he said, and they distorted what he did, and that's all we have in the pages of the New Testament. So that's the fourth option. And so I really wrote this book to, to in a sense, respond to that fourth option, because it it does an in-run around Lewis's original argument, and so we have to kind of back up and ask the more, the kind of basic important question is, how do we know what we know about Jesus? And I think, I think Jeff, that this, that this is a matter of, so to speak, eternal life or death, yeah. right? <laughs> but it doesn't get more important than that, you know? Life is real short and eternity is real, real long. That's right. <laughs> so we want to ask ourselves, you know, is Jesus God? Did he claim to be God? And how do we know that? And, and then once we answer that question, we, we have to follow and answer another one, which is the one Jesus said to all his disciples, namely, who do you say that I am? And the way you answer that question changes the way you will spend the rest of your life, both in this world and in the world to come. It is the most important question of our lives. Wow.
0: That's right. That's right. And you know, it's... um I think one of the things that's challenging for folks, I know I've seen this as a teacher or a former teacher. Uh, I, I see this uh, in, in my own kids, you know, watching them grow and do research on things and write papers and discuss topics and things. I see the same thing happening, this dynamic, which is we tend to see things through the, through the, through what we know, right? We mm-hmm. t- tend to see things in, uh, uh very short-sightedly and when you're talking about something like the Gospels, which we're going back 2,000 so, or so years, yeah. uh, that was a whole different world. Mm-hmm. you know. And so th- that obviously has got to, we have to have some sort of a bridge, uh, yeah. maybe culturally, uh, to understand yeah. really what the Gospels are all about. Is that is that right?
1: No, that, that's absolutely true. And in fact, one of the things I, I discovered while writing this book um, and that, I, that is really at the heart of this book is trying to put the Gospels in their historical context as a way of helping people understand them better. Uh, and in particular, um, with regard to Jesus' claims about who He was, mm-hmm. okay So let me give you an example. For example, there are a lot of people out there, including s- some scholars. But a lot of people who will say, well, Jesus never claims to be God in, in, the, in three out of the four Gospels. They'll say, well, he, yeah, maybe he claims to be God in the Gospel of John, but he never claims to be God in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those are called the synoptic Gospels, right? And it's true. If you read through Matthew, Mark, and Luke – you are never going to find Jesus walking around, the, going through town saying, hey, everybody, I'm God. <laughs> <laughs> that does not happen, right? right? In fact, what you will find if you read those Gospels is that when the demons say things like, we know who you are, what does Jesus do? He tells them, be quiet. Mm, yeah. Don't say anything. Or when he heals the leper, the leper will say, you are the, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. And what will Jesus say? I'll tell anyone, right? right. And, and, and so it can be a little puzzling to people because you think, hey, well, man, if he's God, surely he should go around shouting it. Um, but one of the things I try to show in the book is n- yes and no. Um, when, you, when you look at Jesus' teachings in the gospel about his identity, he, does, he teaches it, and he does claim to be divine, but he does it in a Jewish way. Mm. Mm, yeah, it's the remember my book, the Jewish roots of the Eucharist. That's right. Well, this is kind of like the, the Jewish roots of Jesus's divinity. In other words, what I show in the case for Jesus is, although it's true that Jesus doesn't run around shouting "I am God," he does claim to be God, but he does it in a very Jewish way, and he does it in a very strategic way. In other words, he uses riddles, he uses allusions to the Old Testament, and he and he does it in such a way that when he reveals his divinity he both reveals it to those who have faith and he also conceals it from those who don't have faith and who would kill him if they if they heard him saying explicitly i am god so let me give you an example of this so if you look at the uh gospel mark chapter 2 uh, famous story of the healing of the paralytic, right? So they, you remember the story, right? The guy's paralyzed, and they, they bring him down through the roof of Peter's house in order to get Jesus to heal him. And so when he's laying there, Jesus says to him, my son, it says when he saw their faith, he said to them, my son, your sins are forgiven. And all of a sudden the Jewish scribes, they they... they they freak out and they say, who is this that can forgive sins? Who can forgive sins, but God alone, this man is committing blasphemy. And then Jesus turns to them and he he could have said here, well, Hey, look, I'm God. I can forgive sins. But that he doesn't, he doesn't do that. first it would get him hauled off into prison. Right. If not stoned to death right there. What he's instead, what he says is he says, so that you may see that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, rise, take up your pallet and walk. So, Now, that's kind of a riddle, isn't it? Because from a Jewish perspective, what is he talking about? The son of man. Well, son of man could just be a reference to like a human being. But if you knew Jewish traditions, you know that that was a reference also to the Messiah mm-hmm. in the book of Daniel, who's called the son of man. And you see him riding on the clouds of heaven, going to sit beside God on his throne as if he himself is divine. Right. So Jesus refers to himself as this like heavenly son of man who has divine authority to forgive sins. And so what he says to the disciples... The scribes is basically, look, what's easier to say, take up your pallet and walk, or I forgive you of your sins, but so that you know that I have the power to perform this invisible miracle, this divine miracle of forgiving his sins, I'm going to show you my visible power, and I'm going to say, rise, take up your pallet and walk. And the guy takes up his pallet and walk, and everyone says, who is this guy, right? <laughs> Whoa. And, but the point here is. Notice Jesus, it's, he's implicitly revealing right. his divinity. Mm-hmm. They said, no one can forgive sins but God alone. And basically Jesus says, you got it. Yep. But let me show you what that <laughs> means <laughs> then about the Son of Man, which is his favorite way of referring to himself. So he's going to do this all throughout the gospel. He's going to refer to himself, uh, he'll do the same thing when he, when he says in John's gospel, before Abraham was, I am. That's right. Now on the one hand you might think, Well, you are what? Like, finish the sentence, bro, right? (laughs) It seems like it's incomplete. But in a Jewish perspective, I am was the name of the Lord. That was the name of God that God had revealed to Moses in the book of Exodus, chapter 3. So see, you see what I mean? It's kind of like a riddle. Um, You are who? Well, if you have faith, you realize, oh, man, he's saying he's, I am. In other words, he's the Lord. He is the God come in person. He's the same God who, who appeared to Moses, but can the authorities arrest him for saying I am? Nope. Can wow. the authorities arrest him for saying the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins? Nope. Because he wow. didn't say anything explicit about himself. It's all implicit. Right. So as I try to show in the book, Jesus' divinity is a kind of secret that he's only going to reveal uh, to his disciples and to those who have faith until finally he, he goes up before the Sanhedrin and his final trial. And they basically ask him, tell us straight out, are you the Christ, the Son of the, of, of the Almighty? And he says, I am. Yeah. And then the next morning, what's he doing? He's hanging on a cross. Mm. He's crucified for blasphemy. That's why Jesus died. He was killed because of his identity. And so what I'm trying to show in the book is people who say that Jesus didn't claim to be God, they don't know their Judaism. They haven't done their Old Testament homework. you got to put it in context.
0: we got to take a quick break, but we'll be back in just a minute. You're listening to The Catholic Foodie Show on Breadbox Media. Welcome back to the Catholic Foodie Show. I'm Jeff Young, your host, the Catholic Foodie, and we're talking with Dr. Brant Petrie. Let's continue that conversation. You have to, and that, I mean, that, uh, I mean, it, I guess in a way, in the way that you put that just now, it kind of, in my mind, the words that are coming to me, to me it kind of ups the ante when it comes to faith. You yes, it mean? does. <laughs> I mean, it kind of, yeah, I mean, it's uh, Yeah, it's it a does. Big you know why? It,
1: because Jesus Look, Jesus doesn't shove his divinity down people's throat. He actually wants you to come to faith in him, right? Faith isn't something that can be forced on people. So he's inviting people into a mystery that is so much bigger than our brains. It's so much beyond what we can grasp that he does it in parables. He does it in riddles and he does it by means of an invitation because at the end of the day, that kind of faith in his incarnation is really a gift of grace right now i mean don't get me wrong there are reasons for thinking he's god like being able to raise the dead (laughs) or being able to heal lepers (laughs) or how about this one how about walking on the water right that's another famous story from the gospels jesus is walking on the water disciples see him and um and what does he tell them do not be afraid the English translations sometimes say it is I, but the Greek is actually I am. Oh, wow. Boom, right there. So he takes the divine name again. And, and I love this story, too, because John actually tells us in his gospel, in his version, that Jesus that they were four miles from the shore when that happened. Now, you, get, you live by the causeway. I mean, you live on the North Shore. Oh, yeah, get yeah. on the causeway sometime. Drive to the four-mile marker and look back and see how much water that is. Okay? Yeah. That's, that's not a short walk, man. Right? Yeah. He's not standing on a sandbar <laughs> on the edge of the beach, okay? Um, so it, I like to joke with my students, if he didn't know he was God by mile two, he probably figured it out by mile four, right?
0: <laughs>
1: right. So, but the same thing, he's walking on water, and what's he tell them? I am. In other words, don't be afraid. I'm the one who made the, the wind and the waves, mm. right? There's nothing to be afraid of. So it ups the ante because, it's, it, because he's inviting us into a mystery of his faith, of, of faith in his identity and faith in his divinity. And, and he'll tell Peter the same thing. When Peter finally said, figures it out and like, says, oh, you're the Christ, the son of God. What does Jesus say? Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. That's but right. my father in heaven.
0: That's right. And it is, it is an invitation, You know, it's an invitation to that relationship with God that, uh, you know, I think in in our modern world, unless you are in a environment that supports faith, that supports uh, church, you know, that a lot of times you can easily go through life and and never really have to encounter that, you know.
1: That's exactly right. And what's happening around us, Jeff, is that that secular anti-church, or post-Christian environment, it's spreading. That post-Christian culture is spreading. And that's why these questions, um, in a sense, I just jumped ahead to the second part of the book. That's, That's why these questions that I deal with in the first part of the book, like, who wrote the Gospels? Mm-hmm. Were they anonymous or were they apostolic? You know, what kind of books are they? Are they folklore and fiction or are they biographies? Are they history? That's, you have to deal with that first now because it used to be the case, like when you and I, even probably when you and I are growing up, um, you could just assume, well, of course the Gospels tell the truth. You know, they're, they're biographies of Jesus. They tell us about the life of Jesus. That's not the case anymore. Right. In the secular culture today, there's a widespread growing idea that the Gospels are like, folklore, that they're like fiction. Um, In fact, I mean, uh, in in, in some uh, recent writings, actually, I did encounter this when I was in graduate school. uh, Some people say, oh, the Gospels are like the children's game of telephone. You ever play telephone at a party? (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. So one kid tells a story to the next kid, to the next kid, to the next kid. So it starts with one story. And by the time you get to the end of the circle, the story is so completely different that it's told again. Everyone gets a good laugh because it's been so wildly distorted, right, by the chain of whispers or whatever. Or, you know like like playing telephone, uh, well some scholars, some very famous ones and two will say uh, well that's what the gospels are like they're just the end product of an ancient game of telephone, except instead of being played in one room at one party in one day they were it's taking uh, place over decades throughout hundreds of participants all across the Roman Empire between thirty and 60 years after Jesus died. Now, if that's your attitude toward the Gospels, then of course you're not going to trust them. That's ridiculous, right? right? I mean, it would, it would be like trusting Grimm's fairy tales to give you an accurate account of German history, you know? That's not, <laughs> that's not what folklore does. Um, and so, people are saying that, and those ideas are, are out there. And so, in a secular environment, it's really important that we just don't assume hey, everyone believes the Gospels. So, what I tried to do in the case for Jesus is show the historical evidence for why the Gospels are not folklore, they're not fiction, they are actually, and scholars have shown this incontrovertibly, they are ancient biographies. They, in fact, they're the same length, they're the same form that ancient biographies of other famous figures, such as Josephus, the Jewish historian, mm-hmm. or Caesar, the lives of the Caesars. We have biographies of the Caesars. And they are very similar to the form and the length and the style of the Gospels, because the Gospel authors were deliberately and consciously writing biographies of Jesus. They're not playing a game here, okay? Right. And the other thing is the Gospels are not, uh, unlike folklore, which is anonymous and passed down through generations, As I show in the book, all of the evidence we possess shows that the Gospels were not anonymous. They were actually written either by eyewitnesses like Matthew or John, who were both apostles, students of Jesus, Mm -hmm. or by the companions of eyewitnesses like Mark and Luke, who were followers of Peter and Paul. So these are, in other words, the Gospels are for accounts written within the lifetime of Jesus's own students. That's what the apostles were. They were his students. Um, and, um, and, and intending to give us an account, reliable accounts of what he did and what he said.
0: And that I think sometimes can be a, a um, it can kind of trip people up because we, mm-hmm. we use that word biography. Yeah. And I think a lot of us today, we have an idea of what a biography is. And we look at the gospel and we say, wait, that it not the same.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because we are thinking about modern biography. Right. So if you read a modern biography, what are you usually going to get? Especially these days. A lot of them are like 500 (laughs) to a thousand pages. They're filled with footnotes. They tell you every detail about a person, like exactly what day they were born on, what color hair they had, what color (laughs) eyes they had, you know, just going through all those, you know, what it was like in their, childhood what school they went to i mean we have so much data access in modern times that when you write a modern biography of somebody it's often very long very yeah. detailed right and very filled with all kinds of exact precise information whereas ancient biographies weren't that way they tended to be short they tended to focus on the three main parts of a person's life they're their childhood their birth you know like a couple chapters on that then mostly on their public life and then also some short accounts of their of their death and like the Mm -hmm. aftermath of their life um and that's exactly what you find in the gospels yeah they are basic accounts of the life of the birth life death and resurrection of jesus and so when we try to judge them by modern standards, it can sometimes trip us up right um they're not video transcripts of Jesus either, you know what I mean, like a, like a, like a, like a videotape, right? Like, it's not like an iPhone video, or, right. or, nor is it like a court transcript. You know, so sometimes you'll probably, you probably may have heard this teach high school students, well, well, the Gospels give different accounts of what Jesus did. Right. You know? In this version it says he says this, but the other version of Matthew is a little different, which is a little different from Mark. Well, yeah, that's because they're not transcripts. Right? right, ancient biographies didn't operate that way. They were more a little more flexible. They were more like ordinary human discourse, where you know sometimes we we're very precise, sometimes we paraphrase, sometimes we summarize. You know, and this happens all the time. And now, and that's how ancient biographies were. So, uh, it's important that, now. Most people have read ancient biographies, so they don't know what that's like, right? right. So we tend to judge these books by our modern standards. Um, don't get me wrong; they're accurate, but they but they don't tell us everything Jesus did. I mean. John himself says that at the end of his gospel, the very last line, he says, there were many other things which Jesus did, which are not written about in this book. But if all the things he did were written, the whole world wouldn't be big enough to contain (laughs) the books, right? So they're telling you very explicitly that the gospels are saying, look, I'm not telling you everything about Jesus, but I'm giving you the most important thing, what he did and what he said.
0: And you, And you look, I think it was just uh, was it this past Sunday or maybe a couple of weeks ago that uh, we have the beginning of Luke's gospel? Boom, right, and, and Luke is, is he's writing to somebody to give him an accurate account, right?
1: That you you nailed it. That's fact. That I think that was last Sunday. The reading was from the opening verses of Luke. If you don't mind, I might just read them here oh, real sure. quick. Um, Luke begins his gospel, and he says this: Inasmuch as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, in other words, things that actually happened, <laughs> just as they were delivered to us by those who, from the beginning, were I." witnesses mm-hmm. and ministers of the word. It seemed good to me also having followed all things closely to write an accurate account for you, most excellent Theophilus that you may know the truth concerning the things of which you've been informed. Right. That's Luke chapter one, verses one through four. So Luke opens his gospel by saying very explicitly, look, lots of people are saying what Jesus didn't said. Um, I'm going to give you an account Based on eyewitness testimony, those who were there from the beginning, that would be people like Mary, Peter, James, and John, right? Who were with Jesus all the way from his baptism, and Mary was there from the the Annunciation, Mm -hmm. which is where Luke starts, right? And I'm going to tell you that so you can know the truth. So you can have an accurate account. Now, does that sound like Luke's talking about a a telephone party game? (laughs) No. Does it sound like he's giving you uh, Grimm's fairy tale? No, no. No, no. So, unfortunately, though, in a secular culture, because people aren't even really very familiar with the Gospels, often often aren't they're easily duped into believing things about the like false assertions about the gospels, um, by, uh, scholars or by the, you know, those television documentaries that you see say on the discovery channel, the history channel, you know, that will say that the gospels are just folklore and fiction and anonymous traditions. Well, that's not what the gospels themselves say. And there's no evidence for them being those kind of books. So, and all the evidence is, is, is for them being apostolic biographies. And, and like with Luke, We just quoted from Luke. Well, Luke himself wasn't an eyewitness, which is why he makes it a point to let you know, even though I'm not an eyewitness, in a sense, what he's saying is, I got my accounts of Jesus from eyewitnesses. Because he's interested in giving you an accurate account.
0: Solid sources. You know, trusted sources. sources. Just like
1: today. If you want to find out about the Holocaust in the last 20 years, what do you do? You go find people who survived it, you interview them, and you get eyewitness testimony. That's That's how history gets
0: written. We got to take a quick break, but we'll be back in just a minute. You're listening to the Catholic Foodie Show on Breadbox Media. Welcome back to the Catholic Foodie Show. I'm Jeff Young, your host, the Catholic Foodie, and we're talking with Dr. Brant Petrie. Let's continue that conversation. And so this sounds like because I know a lot of people that I've talked to over the years. Um, it, sometimes we approach the Bible, we're kind of we're kind of scared of it. You know, like, like we're not going to, we, we automatically assume we're not going to understand it. It's not going to make sense. Um, this, your book, the case for Jesus could also help us, I think, to, uh, to approach the gospels a little more easily.
1: Absolutely. Yes. This is not a book. I mean, I've talked a lot. We've talked a little bit, a good bit about scholars here and what scholars say, but let me be clear. This book was really written for anyone. Um, one of the things I do whenever I'm writing my books for a general audience is I have my wife read each chapter. My wife, Elizabeth, you know her, uh, read each chapter as I write it just to be sure that I'm hitting the right audience. In other words, mm-hmm. that she who's a mother of five, she's a stay-at-home mom, she homeschools our kids, that, that she isn't going to get lost in the weeds, that, that, that she can follow it and that it's engaging and exciting and, 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 and interesting to her. And she, this was actually her favorite book out of all my books that I've written. <laughs> because, yeah, it was funny because I, I thought she might not be interested in these historical questions, you know, like, were the Gospels anonymous or what about the Lost Gospels? But you know what? She was. Oh, because wow. everybody has questions like, like, how do I know? And everybody struggles with their faith sometimes, right? right? Yeah. Like, man, I'm following this guy, Jesus, but, but who was he? You know, how do I know he was the son of God? That was a long time ago, 2,000 years, a long time. And so when those doubts emerge, it's important for us to, to, to have a, a clear and accessible and readable account of why we can trust the Gospels and why it's reasonable to believe that Jesus was who he said he was. Namely, God come in person to die for our sins, to be raised on the third day so that we can have eternal life and that we can one day be raised with him in a glorious new heavens and a new earth and be with him and with the Lord and with the Virgin Mary and all the saints for, and, and all of our loved ones for all eternity. I mean, that's that's good news. Um, and so, yeah, I wrote this book, for, this is really written for anyone. You don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to be a, a, a biblical student or anything like that. In fact, if you've kind of found the Gospels hard to understand, this book will help you understand. It'll kind of be like a, like a doorway into a deeper and better under, uh, biblical you know study of the Gospels to help them make sense. Once you l- read this book, you're going to go back to Mass, you're going to go back to your Bible, you're going to read it again and you'll be like, oh man, this makes sense now. <laughs> because the pieces of the puzzle are kind of falling into space. I promise you. I promise you.
0: And when some of those doubts, some of those uh, maybe fears that we have, and sometimes even unspoken or unacknowledged, I mean, Absolutely. they may be there Kind of under the uh, under the, uh, the 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 surface there, but once they are uh, satisfied, mm-hmm. then, then we can actually concentrate a little bit more on what Jesus actually said and calls us to. That,
1: that's exactly <laughs> right. And you know what else we can do? We can concentrate a little more on sharing it with others, right? Because the reality is that we need to know. Uh, the reasons for our faith, if we're going to share that faith with others, right? We need to have a good understanding of it. And sometimes if those, like you said, if those unspoken doubts or questions, if they go unanswered for a long time, they can, um, it, can, it can weaken our confidence and weaken our ability to share our faith with others. In other words, if, I'm hanging, if my faith is hanging by a thread, it's really not that likely that I'm going to go and share it with others, right? That's right. I need conviction. You know, just like with a, a new movie, so like the new Star Wars movie, you know, you're not going to go around telling everybody how much you love the new Star Wars movie if you didn't see it or you <laughs> slept through half of it or you went in and you kind of were lost or maybe, you know, came in late and you, you're not... If you don't understand it and you don't appreciate it, you're not going to tell anybody about it. Um, so we mm-hmm. have to bone up on our our faith and, and get to and get to um, to understand it better, so that we can do what Jesus called us to do, which is well, not just to you know to, to to believe in Him ourselves, but then once we believe, to become apostles, to become evangelists. That's what the new evangelization is all about. You know that that any person, no matter who you are you don't have to be a biblical scholar. If you work in a machine shop, if you're a teacher, if you, even at your home mount, you have family, you have friends who are struggling in their faith or who may have no faith at all. And so if you know somebody like that, maybe they stopped going to church. Maybe they went through a hard time and lost someone and their faith is crushed. Maybe they're just, maybe they're a young person who has lots of questions and you have no idea how to answer them. Then what I'd recommend is get a copy. Of the case for Jesus, get a copy of this book, The Biblical and Historical Evidence for Christ. Read it yourself, right? Read it first, um, so that you can grow in your faith, and then share it with them. Um, because that's that's what I wrote it for. It was to help people uh, who were struggling with their faith. And you know what? That's a lot more people than you might think.
0: Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I I, I can tell you that uh, you know here I am, the Catholic foodie, right? Mm-hmm. I I was in the seminary. I've, I've got a degree in theology. I've you know, I've, I've done ministry for years and years, but that doesn't change the fact that sometimes I have a hard time. It doesn't change Amen. the fact that here I am. I've got my, you know, a 16 year old son who has been very, very involved in uh, uh, the church and in various ways, whether it's youth group type stuff or he, he loves apologetics. So he studied mm-hmm. apologetics for for years with Mr. Jimmy Seeger, Segers, mm, Yeah, uh, and, and so he and he's involved in a lot of things. And yet, because he's 16, you know, and your your yourself, your body, your mind, everything's changing. You're going through all kinds of changes. Yep. There have been days where he comes and he's like, I don't feel like I believe anything anymore. Wow. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's like, thank yep. God it, it's not something that stays. It's usually like the next day he's back to normal. Yeah, but, but those I think any happen. one of us
1: could look back, especially to those teenage years, when you're yeah. asking the deep questions. That's right. And, and, and I can remember days when I had the same, exact same thing. You know, do I even believe anymore? In fact, one of the things I talk about in the book is precisely a dark time that I went through where I basically just about lost my faith. I, oh. It was hanging by a thread. Yeah. And in part... It was because of some of these questions. I had begun to really run up against um, skeptical scholarship, skeptical ideas, lots of confusing ideas about the Gospels and the origins of Christianity, and I didn't know what to make of them. I didn't know how to make head or tails of them, and I certainly didn't learn how to do answer those kind of questions in catechism, mm-hmm. right? So I remember at one point thinking, you know, do I even believe in Jesus anymore, right? So not some, I'm not talking here from a high you know, ivory tower or anything. I've been through this doubt myself, right. and that's precisely why I wanted to write this book, because um, that happens to I think all Christians have to, in a sense, go through you know those kind of dark nights where you where the Lord might seem absent, and when he does seem absent, or when it all doesn't make sense, it's really important that we remember that faith is reasonable. Like in other words, faith goes beyond reason, but we also have reasons for our faith. Christianity is not just, uh, like an imaginary playland that we've made up because it feels good. No, Christianity is a divinely revealed religion of God. It's, and we believe it because it's the truth. So actually one of the things, other things I do in the book, Jeff, that I think is pretty unique is I show you why the first Jews, the first Jewish Christians, like the disciples, why they believed Jesus was the Messiah. In other words, I show you some prophecies that he fulfilled that are pretty mind blowing like they are, they are really stunning and they're not well known. A lot of times Christians today, we don't know the old Testament as well as the new Testament. Right. Right. So, so one of the things that happens is if you don't know the old Testament, you don't actually know what prophecies Jesus fulfilled. <laughs> so, I'll ask my students sometimes this, like how many of you believe Jesus is the Messiah? And they all raise their hand cause it's seminary. Right. right yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so hopefully they'll believe he's the son of God. And Messiah. Okay. All right. Um, okay, good. You believe he's the Messiah. Um, do you believe he fulfilled the prophecies of the Messiah? All the hands go up, right? Okay. And then next question, which prophecies did he fulfill? (laughs) (laughs) No hands. (laughs) You can hear a pin drop, right? (laughs) I'm like, yeah, maybe, you know, pretend I'm an unbeliever. I want to believe in Jesus, but I really like him, him, him have fulfilled some prophecies. So tell me which ones he fulfilled, which, where are they? And and it's just silence. Mm. And maybe sometimes like one or two will say, Oh, well, what about the, uh, virgin birth prophecy in Isaiah? Or say the virgin birth prophecy, I'll say, oh, okay, good. Where is that? Ooh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> or what about the suffering servant? Maybe those two. And they're right. both from Isaiah. But it, then I ask what chapters, and it's just nothing. Right. Like they just, a lot of times people just aren't familiar with that stuff. Mm-hmm. Now that's at the beginning <laughs> of seminary. As they move along, they learn all that. But one of the reasons I do that is to help them kind of realize, you know, you believe in Jesus, but you might not actually know why. Right. And oh, you yeah. might not be able to share it with someone who doesn't, right? And so, but this is what's unique about Jesus. There is no other world religion, no other religious leader, Buddha, Muhammad, none of the other ones were pre-announced. Right. In other words, oh. there's no prophecies of Buddha. There's no prophecies of Muhammad. There's no prophecies of any other person who ever claimed to be the Messiah or the Son of God. Um, only Jesus mm. was pre-announced, Only Jesus has typology and prophecies of the Old Testament that are there thousands of years before he even comes on the scene that then he fulfills to the T. That's beautiful. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons the first Jewish Christians, when they saw those prophecies being fulfilled, they were like, "Uh uh-oh, this is the guy. This is the one.
0: (laughs) Despite the fact that it looked like he came from Nazareth, huh?
1: Well, yeah, even though he came from a podunk town like Nazareth, that's right. And even though he ended up on the cross, see, that was the other thing that was really a scandal. Whoa, how do you? I expected the Messiah to come, fulfill the prophecies, but I didn't expect this cross business. Yeah. And so that's another chapter in there. I try to explain why the crucifixion, like, why did that happen, and what's and what's the what's the mystery behind that? Why did God allow that to happen? And yeah. that is a fulfillment of prophecy too, as I show in the book.
0: And this sounds to me like it's the the perfect book for Lent. And I tell you that, uh, you know what, what we do here in my family, uh, We have a new baby, you know, she's, uh, almost eight months now, but the other three are beautiful, beautiful, man. Thank you. She's, she's got me wrapped around a little finger, you know, but uh, (laughs) as it should be. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. The other three are uh, teenagers. And so we, we do from time to time, I wish we did it more often, but life being as it is, you know, Mm -hmm. busy and, and whatnot. But what we like to do from time to time is to, is to read a book together. You know, Mm -hmm. so we all are together and we'll read through it slowly. And Uh this is like the perfect book for us to do that for Lent.
1: I think you really, really enjoy it. Um, And I think it would probably spark a lot of good conversations, especially if the kids are teenagers. And I think it'll help strengthen their faith because when they get out, out into that world, that big wide world. Is not going to wait for them to, uh, you know, go find the answers. They're going to have, right. they're going to hit from a secular world with lots of questions. Yeah. And if their faith can be strengthened and informed now, it'll really help them. It'll help equip them to navigate those waters. My kids are a little bit younger than yours, but they're right on the edge of that. They're right on the edge of that. Oldest um, is fourteen, so um, those questions are starting to come already. Um, but yeah, it's it's a tough world out there to be a Christian these days. And so we we, we want to know our faith well, um, not just to defend it, but to really share it with others in a a loving way. And that's the other thing. I try to be, the the tone of the book, you know, I like to take the gloves off sometimes if it's a matter of life and death. (laughs) But I also try to be respectful, and I try to present both sides of the argument. So, like, here's what some skeptics will say. These are their reasons, but here's why I think they're wrong. And here's the evidence uh, for Christ rather than against him.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, Dr. Brand Petrie, thank you so much for writing the book, but also for joining us here today on the Catholic Foodie Show. Uh, where can folks go to find the book?
1: Okay, they can go to a few places. Um... It will be available in your local Catholic bookstore. It'd be available at a Barnes and Noble or a Books a Million. Any of the major booksellers near you will have the book. Um, but you can also go to, you can get it from Amazon.com too as well. They have copies there. Um, but if you'd like a signed copy, um, you can actually go to my website, which is www.brantpetrie.com. That's B-R-A-N-T-P-I-T-R-E.com. And, and the website there. We've got uh, not just this book, but other books like The Jewish Roots of the Eucharist we talked about earlier, and uh, also lots of Bible studies on CED and MP3 and those kind of things so that um, people can find out. And they can also, uh, like we mentioned at the beginning, too, go to the Catholic Productions blog for those videos on the Sunday readings, um, and you might even be able to find me on Facebook as well, uh, where I, I'll put, post those videos. So, lots of places, lots of resources there, but uh, I definitely think this would be a great book to read during the Lenten season.
0: Again, Brant, thank you so much for taking the time to be with me today. and It was a pleasure to, to hang to- out with you, man. Awesome, awesome, awesome. That was Fantastic! What, what a what a fantastic conversation with Dr. Brant Petrie. Again, show notes are going to be over at catholicfoodie.com. You can get the links to all of Dr. Brant Petrie's books, uh, to his website, everything you can find over there, the show notes, catholicfoodie.com. It has been a pleasure uh, being with you today. Thank you so much for listening to The Catholic Foodie Show. You know, it's also available as a podcast on iTunes. Feel free to go to iTunes, search for The Catholic Foodie. It's right there. If you like what you hear, Please rate it. Please give it a, a rating, preferably a five-star rating, you know, and uh, let, let other, other people know, too, about the Catholic Foodie Show. You know, all the, the reviews and the ratings over at iTunes help to spread the word. It helps to, uh, to let other people know about the Catholic Foodie Show. Thank you again for listening, and I will talk to you next week. God bless. Until then, bon appetit.